I'll invite uh, Greg, Little, and Savaya uh, to come on up. Um, and uh, Greg is really involved. It's a shame that um, that Joey Morningstar isn't here because uh, this last year Joey was our intern here at Oak Church and spent a lot of time over at Reality, um, particularly in kind of Greg's domain, uh, getting a Reality Cafe kind of piloted and, and up and going. Um, and, and, and really related to hospitality and food. So as, as we've, this summer, been talking a lot about David in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, um, and we came to this passage particularly about offering hospitality. I, I asked Nate, I was like, is there anyone that, that you could think of? And, and he didn't even hesitate. He says, he says I have some friends, uh, and I think Greg has some friends, and I think, uh, think that would be awesome. So. Uh, we're happy to invite Greg and Sabaya this morning. Uh, welcome them with a round of applause. Good morning. Thank you all. Good morning. Um, we wanted to begin this morning with prayer and kind of as an invitation into Savaya and I's life together. Um, we wanted to pray. Our, our neighborhood has the gift of praying together every morning and evening. And Savaya has not actually been a part of our neighborhood for very long, but it seems like she's been around forever. And one of the big reasons is she leads us in prayer so often, mm-hmm. and she's so faithful in prayer. And so she's going she's gonna to lead us in prayer, and then I'm going to share some of the joy that Jesus has offered me this week in preparation and then we get to hear a little bit from Savaya about her life. So Savaya, do you want to open us in prayer? Yes. Let us all bow our heads, please. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for gathering us here to hear the to hear the word from you. Lord, we we ask that you let the Holy Spirit come through this place today. We ask that you Continue to let our hearts come to you. Continue to open our hearts, Lord. We are here to worship you and show you that we love you and that we honor you, Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I'll start by standing up. Um, so I have to say, this morning, um, I have been jarred and scattered a bit from a few different circumstances, and uh, when I came, I, that I felt that scatteredness in a way that gave me some, some real fear <laughs> for sharing this morning. Um, and then I've seen friends here <laughs> that have assured me that God is with us and that um, God is in this place wrapping us in worship. And a sort of peace has washed over me in the last 11 minutes. Um, So, good morning and forgive any scatteredness. Um, But I am so delighted to share some of what the Spirit has been revealing this week in this text of David and Mephibosheth. It's a story that just doesn't, I haven't heard a sermon on this story before, and it's a really incredible story. Um, So what I want to start with, though, is God's fool. 
the name for St. Francis, St. Francis of Assisi. There is <laughs> a story of St. Francis that some of y'all might have either read or heard in a song. Um, there's a Mumford and Sons song about this story. Uh, but it's a story where, G- where St. Francis walks out of a cave. He often early in his life uh, would retreat into a cave for contemplation and prayer. And one of his earliest encounters with Jesus in that cave, um, we have this story of Francis walking out as if walking on his hands. Um, The biographer here is G.K. Chesterton, and he paints this picture of St. Francis walking on his hands, seeing the whole world upside down. So I get this image of like a, a snow globe turned upside down, where everything that was on the bottom is now on the top. And so for Francis, this meant that the life, that life in Christ was a life seeking Jesus's presence in unexpected ways, seeking Jesus's presence in the poorest of the poor. So those who were on the bottom have now somehow become those with the most honorable seat. And this is a vision that's clear throughout scripture. And it's what Savaya and I have been reflecting on this week um, that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of reversal. And what the kingdom of God is a kingdom where everything is upside down. And the fuel and what buoys this reversal is God's loving kindness. The same loving kindness that the scripture says permeates the whole earth. God's grace, God's loving kindness, God's covenantal loyalty fills the whole earth. And that is what sustains this reversal. That is what energizes this reversal. And Jesus is this loving kindness in person. Jesus is this kingdom in person, this kingdom of reversal in person. So uh, the vision that we, that we receive in Francis resonates with the kind of undercurrent of a lot of the Psalms. I know this um, exploration of David, I'm sure there's been a lot of discovery of the Psalms. The call to worship was a Psalm. And it's really consistent throughout the Psalms, this kingdom of reversal. Uh, there's Psalm 107 that has recently become one of my favorites because some friends of ours wrote a song about it. And it has kind of four parts, Psalm 107 does. Um, But at the end, it says, God changes streams into deserts and deserts into pools of water. And then there's Psalm 84. Um, Psalm 84 says that those who go through the desolate valley will find it a place of springs. There's There's a psalm, a short psalm, 113, that talks about the mightiness of God, that God is almighty on high and stoops to behold the heavens and the earth. He lifts the poor out of the ashes and lifts the weak out of the dust. And then there's one psalm that I I kind of want to, it's become the question for Saviah and I this week, and it's Psalm 78. So Psalm 78 is one of these um, history of Israel psalms where God's faithfulness and Israel's forgetfulness are highlighted over and over and over. 
And at one point in the psalm, after, after the deliverance um, through the Red Sea, the Israelites say, um, can God set a table in the wilderness? Can God prepare a table in the desert? So this question has been kind of nagging Savaya and I <laughs> this week. We've been thinking about ways that God prepares a table in the wilderness. The answer, the answer to that is yes. And in the psalm, Psalm 78, the, the answer comes by way of manna. Many of you know that story of God providing manna, and it says that they ate, mere mortals ate the bread of angels, which is a really beautiful phrase. Um, but our, our story here today from Second Samuel gives another answer of yes in a different way. And so I'm going to read our story and, and go from there, and then we're going to invite Savaya up. But I want us to think about how does God set a table for us in the wilderness? How does God set a table for us in the wilderness? So our story is from 2 Samuel chapter 9. Holy Spirit, meet us in the reading of your word. So David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned Ziba to him to appear before David. And the king said, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. Now King David asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel in Lo Debar. So King David had him brought from Lo Debar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Do not be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. 
Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. This is the word of the Lord. So in this story, I think we get a glimpse of this kingdom of reversal. And we get that glimpse through an encounter, a person-to-person encounter, David and Mephibosheth. And in that encounter, I think we, we get a resounding yes to the question of the Israelites. Can God set a table in the wilderness? So as I, as I read this story multiple times, and as Saviah and I talked a lot about this story, the thing that struck me was all of the context and all of the texture of each character, David and Mephibosheth, leading up to this story. Because I think that highlights kind of the moment of encounter. So first with Mephibosheth, his, the first mention of Mephibosheth has been about five chapters earlier in chapter four. We see when he heard that his dad and his granddad, Jonathan and Saul, had died. They had died in battle. There's one verse in scripture. It's a, it's a short verse, and it just says the nurse, Mephibosheth's nurse, picked him up. He was five years old, and in haste, they ran away. They tried to flee from fear. And in, in the hurriedness of that, she dropped Mephibosheth. And so that is the origin of being lame in both feet. So fear marked Mephibosheth's existence up to this point. It was common practice when a new king came into rule um, that was of a different family that they would wipe out all of the existing family from the, the rulers who had just left the throne. And so it's very possible that this fear was even connected to David himself, that the nurse picked up Mephibosheth in fear that the new ruler would kill all of the family of the household of Saul. And so fear marks Mephibosheth's existence. Second, there's a sense of hiddenness and obscurity. Mephibosheth hasn't been mentioned since this. He's been hidden away. And David, his question is, is there one left of the household of Saul? So if David would have known about Mephibosheth, he could have said, called him by name directly, or if he figured that Jonathan had any children still alive, he could have said the household of Jonathan. And so there's this this sense of hiddenness that Mephibosheth has been away and hiding in fear. There's also the shame associated with being lame in both feet. You see, Ziba, when he answered David, said, yes, there is one, and never mentions his name. What he mentions is, first and foremost, he's lame in both feet, defined by this moment in his life. He's lame in both feet. He's staying with his family. He lives in this place, Lodabar, but never mentions his name. 
I hear echoes of John chapter 9. If you all know that story, the, the story of the man born blind. And the disciples say, who sinned so that this person is blind? Was it his parents or him? And after Jesus stoops and touches that man, his whole community start questioning whether that's actually him or not. Once he is healed of his blindness, that had been the marker of his identity for his whole life. They knew him as the one who was blind. So when he was healed, there was mass confusion in the village. So it seems the same with Mephibosheth. He's been identified primarily as the one who's lame in both feet. And then last, a really, really interesting detail of the story is the place that Mephibosheth lives. It's called Lodabar. Um, Lodabar means the wilderness. It literally means not a place or a place with no pasture. So here we have Mephibosheth, who's in hiding and fear, staying in the place called not a place, staying in the wilderness. And so then we have David, the context behind who David is. David has been marked by favor. Momentum is, is heading in David's direction. So in the chapters before, I'm sure y'all have discovered these together in the last few weeks, David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Um, through the prophet Nathan, David hears that God is going to establish his house forever and ever. And then the chapter before is this laundry list of victories that David had and his officers and priests, and it says David ruled over all of Israel. So we have Mephibosheth and everything happening in Mephibosheth's life and his identity marked by fear and shame and hiddenness. And we have David. So this story, the way the story is told, kind of primes us for the reversal that we've been talking about. And so they meet. And the encounter is one of gentleness. It's one of a gentle welcome. It's not one of violence or the exercise of power to oppress people. It's one of gentleness. And so I want to point out two, or three, two things about this encounter um, and then invite Saviya to share some wisdom with us as well. But the first thing is, the first four words out of David's mouth, Mephibosheth, do not be afraid. It's hard to imagine two things that would herald the presence of God more in, in scriptural language than calling one by name and by saying, do not be afraid. And here David kind of inhabits the voice of the Lord in Isaiah 43, this beautiful passage that, that so many people um, around Reality Center, where I work, we share this verse with one another often. Saviah and I have spoken it to one another many times this week, where God says, I have redeemed you. Do not be afraid. I have called you by name. You are mine. This is the voice of the Lord to each one of us this morning. And in our story, this is the voice of David to Mephibosheth. The last thing is what he invites him into. It's the table. Nothing is repeated more in this story than 
you will eat at my table continually. And I, there's all these pictures of this huge feast, this huge banquet. Um, but what struck me, especially this week, as, as Savai and I were talking about this passage, was the ordinariness and the dailiness of inviting someone to eat at your table. That means that they woke up the next day and they ate. And they went to bed and they woke up again and they ate every single day. King David inviting Mephibosheth to eat at his table. Meals for us around the neighborhood and in reality are often a, a sort of benediction. Um, we, we see one another in a new way when we eat together. Um, we've talked a lot, Savai and I, this week about the mutuality of the table and wondering what it would be like for King David to pass whatever food they're eating to Mephibosheth and for them to have that face-to-face encounter every single day. It's a really beautiful image. And so, in this encounter, we see the reversal that is the arc of Scripture. This reversal of God speaking into an identity of fear, shame, and hiddenness by calling someone's name. David sees who Mephibosheth is. His name means destroyer of shame, Mephibosheth. And so when David speaks his name, it's a sort of prophetic announcement that now, Mephibosheth, you are living into your true identity, destroyer of shame. And Mephibosheth did nothing to receive. There was no merit. It was all on the initiative of the king. It was the king's invitation to the table and Mephibosheth's relationship to the king that defined his identity. You will eat as the king's son. Svaya, would you like to come up and share some? We have a couple stories we want to share. morning again, everyone. Um, it's a pleasure and an honor to be sitting in front of you all. I hope I don't make you sleepy. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself and the, the passage of David, and I don't know how to pronounce it because it's, it's such a big word. He, he can say it for me if I don't res- respond to it right. Um, when it says about the the little boy not being able to use his feet. It makes me think of myself. Um, born, um, well, I am 23, and I was born with CP, which is cerebral palsy. And I think when I think of that story, I think of myself so much because of the fact growing up and figuring out why a lot of people were staring and afraid to come near me and just to talk to me as a child I didn't understand what was going on at the moment so as I got older and I would sit there and wonder why I would get bullied or get my feelings hurt 
and I, I started to realize as I got older, because I'm different. I'm different. I'm not up walking like everyone else. But as I see myself today and this, at st sitting right here, I am the same. It's just that I can't stand up and walk on my own. And it's another thing about being ashamed and being afraid in the passage as well. I think of that as it wasn't me being afraid. It wasn't me being scared. When I think of that, I think of my mom because she was very, very strict with me and very overprotective with me. So she was afraid for me to go out there in the world and have all these people surrounding me and thinking that I was going to get hurt. So for me, being a part of a wonderful community of people, when I think of God setting a table in the desert or the wilderness, I think of my community, North Street, and Reality Ministries. God set my table around all of these wonderful people. I said that all of these wonderful people in North Street community and Reality Ministries, Miss Susan, uh, <laughs> um, God had God blessed me by answering my prayers because me growing up I was going through so much to where I didn't know why all of these things were happening to me such as bullying sometimes abuse so for me it was very hard to figure out like I used to say to myself I should not be here on this earth today I sit here when I was before I moved here five months ago it was a struggle waking up with depression and waking up sad, happy, you know, all different emotions every single day. But when I found out about North Street Community, the weight was just lifted off my chest and my shoulders. And when I came into the community for the first time, I was welcomed, welcomed by so many beautiful and handsome faces, which some of them are in this room today. Um, and I say, I, I say all the time when I lead prayer, I am so grateful and so thankful that God gave me this opportunity to show that I can be myself and be independent around all these wonderful people that he has blessed me with. So today was <laughs> very nerve wracking. Um, I'm shaking a little bit now, but I'm okay. Um, the, the, the story um, such as I'm going to say being afraid again. I still have my moments where I'm afraid. I still have my moments where I'm like, no, I can't. But then I have that push from someone. Or I have that push from God. Or I have that push from Jesus and say, you can do this. Or as, as we talked about him turning us upside down. When I think of turning me upside down, that makes me, he's, he's turning me upside down so I can work a little harder to try to do it myself. And then he sees that I can't do it. Then he turns me back up the other way, <laughs> if, that's the way this, if that's the way to say it. Um, and trust and believe, God has done that so many times for me. The, for the time that I've been here on this earth, at 23 years old, God has done that so many times. He has opened doors for me. He has closed doors for me. But this was the big door. The big door that when you when they open the door, you see all the lights and you hear the, ah, 
you know, <laughs> things like that. So, <laughs> so this was, this was, this was a huge door for me that he gave me the opportunity and he told me not to ever use my disability as, as an excuse or to always hold my head high, to always be strong, to always don't be negative, keep a positive attitude, and that's very important. And these wonderful people here, Gregory and Janice, are two great, great supporters of mine, including some friends I see in the audience. I'm not going to call no names, but... um. It, it's such a blessing to be a part of a community, to know I can be myself around all these wonderful people and to not be ashamed of myself because being bullied and going through all these things and being growing up, being sick, going through surgeries, it's and wondering why you get treated the way you do because you are different. You're only different just a little bit just a little bit and I use this term when I speak a lot because I'm becoming a inspirational speaker for people with all types of disabilities love yourself you are beautifully and perfectly made as you are but you have to believe in yourself first hold your heads high and smile and be confident it took me a while to get there trust and believe but once again being in a community full of wonderful positive people changed my whole mindset when I first moved to Durham and sitting in front of you today helping preach a sermon for the first time in my life is incredible and right right at this moment I have my moments when I, I get sad and I cry just because I'm still feeling those moments I'm having flashbacks but then when I get around a wonderful group of people like Miss Susan Gregory um, Denise um, Emma and um, Quinn and Preston Alex Nick all of these wonderful people here it all changes it all goes away Savannah, do you remember the what stuck out to you most when we read the scripture First, the first time last week, the word kindness. Yeah, kindness. That, that loving kindness. Loving kindness. When I when I when I when I first read a little bit, I glanced at it. I didn't really read it at the time. <laughs> um, I glanced at it, and that word stuck out to me very heavily because a lot of people wasn't always kind. Were always kind to me. Was not always kind. I felt I always felt like that I had to fight for my respect and kindness as a human being, excuse me. Um, and then when I, wow, um, I'm not gonna cry, I swear. <laughs> um, then when I, come, when I came to Durham, and such as the community that I live in, so much kindness and love and so support and that, so many warm hugs and telling me you can't do this you're not going to be able to be this person because of your disability so that word stuck out to me very heavily because of my community because of north street community because of reality ministries because i've always been a child of god i've always liked to go to church and hear the word and, and listen how 
the earth was created. One day at a time. Thank you, Sadaya. You're welcome. You've always been a child of God. Um, our identity is firm because of who Jesus is. Our identity is firm because God has spoken for us on our behalf to us and in us that we are loved. And that's our basic identity. So you have always been a child of God. And we get to discover together that identity. Um, I wanted to close with a, a story. Um, I had kind of a personal encounter with this story, I believe, but in reverse, which is fitting for this morning. Um, a handful of years ago, I had the great gift of living in a small town outside of Jinja, Uganda. Um, and I was welcomed into the home of a Ugandan pastor and his wife, Big John and Barbara. I was welcomed into their home and into their worship and into their work. And the home was about a 30-minute leisurely stroll from the school and the orphanage where, where we worked every day. And so I'd walk every morning and every evening to and fro on this kind of dirt path. And every day I'd pass a cohort of kids, maybe six or seven kids playing together. And one in particular befriended me, and her name is Midia. And Midia was really sweet to me. Midia always came directly to me um, when she saw me walking. And Midia was also an outsider in the midst of that friend group. She was nonverbal. She didn't speak. Um, from her gesturing and the way she related with people, um, I think Midia was on the autism spectrum. Uh, and what that meant in her life with her friends was that she was excluded and mocked. Um, probably every two or three days I would see kids throwing rocks at her, like really aggressively excluding Midia from their life together. But Midia was, she befriended me. And so I remember one time uh, at the very end of my time there, I, I was there for a few months, I bought some Mandazi. Anybody know what Mandazi is? It's kind of like a sweet biscuit, like between a donut and a muffin kind of fried dough that's sweet. It was really good. And I bought two. And I remember in my head kind of thinking, you know, Mitty and I are going to sit down and eat this together. And I kind of remember thinking, I'm definitely just going to get two. So maybe the other kids will like be jealous. I mean, that, that was a, uh, not a holy thought, but certainly a thought that went through my head. And so we sat down, I saw Midia, we sat down, I gave her the Mandazi, and within 17 seconds, six or seven kids came. And, 
and we were sitting down, and they kind of came, and before anyone said anything, Midia broke off a piece of the mandazi and gave it to one of the kids. And then she broke off another piece and gave it to the kids. She broke off another piece. And I just started weeping. (laughs) And I remember thinking, this is upside down. This is not how this goes. Mm -hmm. But she was sharing the bread of our Lord with those who had proven to be her enemies. Mm -hmm. She was offering the loving kindness of Jesus freely to these children. And so when I receive communion um, these last handful of years, often I think of that story of Midia, and I think of what a vision that is of what's happening at the Eucharist table, the, the reversal that we are celebrating and participating in when we come to the table of Jesus, um, the kind of ultimate reversal that though Jesus was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself and emptied himself and offered himself even to death on a cross. That is the reversal that defines our lives. The offering of Jesus, the complete offering that God has made and that God makes. And we get to participate in that reversal. A friend of mine often says the Eucharist has tentacles, that the communion table has tentacles that want to touch every part of our lives. And so as we receive communion today and as we eat around the table downstairs, Mm -hmm. um, may we remember the story of Mephibosheth and David. May the meals that we share with one another reach the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And may they be marked by loving kindness. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen.